G'day, my name's Martin Murray and you're listening to the In The Paddock podcast, where we talk all things farming. I just thought I'd jump in early and say that today we're doing another longer form episode, a bit like the last one on the Great Grain Robbery, bit of a history, but today we're talking about the worst aggro in the history of the world. So it's a bit different, just me, pretty well talking at the microphone for 20 minutes straight, and I butcher a lot of Russian names, so... um, that's pretty funny for those out there that um, find that sort of thing funny. And apologies to those out there that are Russian. And also, sorry, this is the second time round. The last recording had a whole heap of electrical distortion in the intro. Anyway, let's jump into it. Welcome to today's podcast. So today we're doing another Cocky's History Lesson talking about the world's worst aggro, a fellow by the name of Trofirm Lyshenko. Now, you've probably had a few wild aggros in your time, thought the rates were a bit high, costing you a bit too much money. Well, this bloke arguably holds the record for being the single person responsible for the most amount of deaths in the world, so I can quite confidently say that he is the world's worst aggro. So let's sit a little bit of background about the world of um, of Lushenko and uh, how he ended up being in the position that he was in to uh, cause such untold destruction. So Trofirm Denisovich Lushenko was born the 29th of September 1898 in what is now Ukraine. And so those that are familiar with a bit of uh, world history or have been listening to the Revolutions podcast uh, would know that that's just a tad before the Russian Revolution. So come, I think, 1917, the Russian Revolution kicks off, although it's sort of been simmering away since about when this bloke was born. Basically, the, uh, the Bolsheviks take control uh, the Tsar is shot against the wall and um, the Soviets take power through Russia. And through the, all of this, the uh, Soviet Union collectivised all the land, so they took the land off the landholders and uh, had it all managed as one. Uh, this led to massive, massive troubles in the country's food security as, um, well, if you're going to have all your food stripped off you, all the, the fruits of your labour taken away, you don't really have a lot of incentive to actually uh, go out there and work, go out there and grow it. And so just food production completely collapsed. Many people abandoned their farm. Uh, many more waged a resistance against collectivisation uh, through that poor work quality and just pilfering supplies. Overall, just massively, massively uh, destroying the food security of the uh, of the USSR. But then this uh, Lyshenko chap comes onto the scene and begins advocating new agronomic methods, uh, methods that weren't tested, and uh, basically he mixed a lot of the politics of the time in with the uh, agronomy that he was preaching and that brought him to the attention of Stalin and uh, Stalin obviously quite liked what he heard and um, made him the chief agricultural scientist. So let's get in there and 
find out about a bit about this bloke, what he did, how he got there. So Lashenko was a strong believer in Lamarckism, which Lamarckism is a belief where traits are physically inherited. Uh, like if you you do something to physically change a plant, its offspring will have those same traits. And he was a um, Mendelian genetic, so uh, Mendel's peas, probably all familiar with that from high school biology. Uh, Mendel was a monk, I think, that bred different peas and uh, worked out based on the, the colour of the flowers, the genes, so your recessive and your dominant genes, and your percentages and the chances of the offspring having a particular trait. So basically, Lyshenko wasn't a fan of that, didn't believe in that, but was a big fan of Lamarck, which, um, yeah, is a, is a whole other thing. But um, also, yeah, pseudoscience, not a, not a real thing. So as a young man, he worked as the Kiv Agricultural Institute and um, found himself fairly interested in agriculture. He worked on a few different projects, but one involving the, um, the effect of temperature on plants uh, was what really brought him into fame. So he supposedly discovered, uh, according to him, the, uh, the effect of vernalization on wheat seed. So basically, if you've got winter wheat over in Ukraine, Russia, North America, Canada, uh, my understanding is they mostly grow a lot of winter wheats and so they sow these before the snowfall, they live under the snow, and then once the snow melts, the crop grows. So if you don't get that snow to actually insulate the plants, uh, the plants can freeze and die and get killed by the frost. And so that was a big issue for the Russians. So if you, you didn't have a snowfall, you didn't um, have these crops survive. So he found that he was able to uh, freeze the wheat seed expose them to cold and that would trigger those vernalization temperatures and then you could sow them in spring and there you'd still yield you get the same issue in australia and i'm struggling to think of the exact varieties that that have this vernalization requirement some of them have a daylight requirement um i'm not sure if ds bennett has a vern requirement uh, but basically, if you try and grow some winter wheats in the north, like, um, you know, northern New South Wales, southern Queensland, that sort of thing, even if you sow them at the same time you would, uh, you know, any other wheat, um, early wheat, if you don't get the right amount of cold days, they won't throw up ahead, they won't yield, they'll just remain vegetative all their life. And so that's what they were trying to avoid, and they found that if you froze these seeds... Uh, you could get around that vernalization requirement and you'd still get a yield there at the end, which was a big thing for them. However, this wasn't exactly a new discovery. Um, these uh, experiments had been and had already been proven by a fellow by the name of Nikolai uh, Vavilov, um, who, uh, yeah, was... Um, Became a bit of a critic of Lyshenko's work later in the piece, and um, being a critic of someone favoured by Stalin doesn't do great things for your life expectancy, so that's a bit of a spoiler there. But initially, uh, Vavoyev 
uh, was a supporter of Lushenko, encouraged him in his work. However, even with that bit of success and his support, Lushenko still had a lot of trouble trying to get crops to survive the harsh winters of you know, the Soviet Empire and uh, still struggled to, to make those gains that uh, he was really trying to make. But that didn't stop him. He just claimed he made those gains anyway. And soon enough, Soviet newspapers were running headlines of his claims that he had found new methods to grow better crops without having to fertilise the fields uh, with fertilisers or minerals or all that sort of thing. The, the, tra- the headline is a little bit clunky to read. And uh, he would be turning barren fields of the Transcaucasus green in winter so that cattle will not perish from poor feeding and the peasant Turk will live through the winter without trembling for tomorrow. That's a bit of a taste of some of the stuff that they were they were running about his work. Rather poetic. And, uh, of course, because um, part of the reason for why he wasn't having such luck with uh, these successes was, uh, as I mentioned earlier, big believer in Lamarckism. So he believed that the seeds that he had treated, sowing to get around that vernalisation requirement, he believed that all their offspring uh, would... Uh, not have to go through that same vernalisation requirement. But obviously they didn't, so that's why he was still having all these failures. Um, which, along the same note there, he also believed that uh, the offspring of grafted plants or hybrid crops uh, would continue to be prosperous, and particularly the grafted crops, that the offspring of them would be would have the best traits of, of both the rootstock and the fruiting body. Uh, which if anyone's mucked around with a bit of grafting, I've, I know I've tried it at home in the garden. Uh, you know, the, the, the fruit is the... You're only getting that from the source material. And I mean, the, the whole thing's mad when you think about it. You can, you can graft a, you know, a nectarine, a peach, an apricot, uh, a whole heap of stone fruit all onto the same rootstock. But, um, you know, <laughs> you can't take the seed from the apricot side and expect to grow a, uh, a, a fruit salad tree. So, And the same goes for you. Anyone that's grown a hybrid canola or something like that, they know if they hold onto the seed year on, year out, it's it's going to get worse. Your quality is going to drop off because it's no longer that true hybrid. You've got a whole heap of genetic drift, genetic variation that's going to lower the yield. And I've seen the same thing in uh, hybrid oats. Uh, we've taken oat seed off a farm that is one variety it's it's grower retained seed they've been running that for five years or so and then compared that to fresh seed from the factory and uh you know run that out over the over the season and done dry matter cuts and the the fresh seed the stuff that is bred by them is actually outperforms that retained seed and so he made no allowances for that genetic drift and uh, that sort of thing, didn't believe in it. And that was just all part of his uh, his belief system in uh, Lamarckism. However, by the end of World War II, uh, Lushenko took an interest in the works of Olga, and give me a minute here, Lepenshinshiska, uh, yeah? I am sorry, I am absolutely butchering the... Uh, the Russian names, and uh, who was a uh, biologist. Now, Olga 
claimed that she could create cells from non-cell material, things like egg yolk uh, and other non-cellular matter. And um, they believe that there was some common ground between her ideas and uh, Lyshenko's. And uh, they believe that once you combine them, it was possible to create cells from non-cellular material. And uh, also believe that uh, the predicted ratios of Mendelian genetics and uh, meiosis were incorrect. And thus, basically, they believe that all modern genetics was incorrect. But it's just, just madness. You you can't create cells from non-cellular material. That's that's not how things work. By this time, Lyshenko had become the director of the Institute of Genetics in the USSR's Academy of Sciences uh, as of 1940. So by the end of the war, definitely already very influential uh, within the uh, the Russian uh, system. And uh, he was using his political influence there to suppress discerning opinions, uh, discredit critics, and um, also uh, not only discredit his critics, but have them either sent away to gulags or uh, even worse. Uh, remember the uh, the fellow we mentioned a little bit earlier, Nikolai Vavilov? Well, him and many others were not only sent to the gulags, but also sent to their deaths, executed for having discerning opinions. So this mix of pseudoscience, no science, and um, then also mixing politics into his uh, agronomic teachings. Lyshenko was a big believer in the, the Soviet class structure and believed that plants of the same class would never struggle but would work together in service of the union. Uh, but yeah, honestly, as, as we know, uh, if you overplant your, uh, say, you, 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 you know, you, you double your wheat seeding rate or triple it, something like that, um, your plants will not produce anything because they'll burn up all their moisture, they'll burn up all the nutrients without actually producing a grain. But Lushenko believed that plants of the same class would never compete. So he uh, was a strong believer in increasing seeding rates and planting seeds very close together, uh, which yeah, obviously doesn't work out. And because of this, there was massive, and other factors, actually there, there were many other factors, but because of his teachings and a few other factors, there were massive famines throughout Soviet Russia. Millions upon millions of people died. And then... That wasn't uh, enough, so um, the uh, Maoist government in uh, 1958 ended up taking on his, uh, his teachings and his beliefs, and that ended in the Great Chinese Famine of 1959 to 1962, where it's estimated that some 15 to 55 million people died. Mass, mass starvation. Outside of the Soviet Union, uh, there were many critics of his teachings, understandably, uh, and they were able to criti- well, criticise him freely uh, without fear of, of Soviet uh, intervention because, well, they're not in the Soviet Union. Uh, British biolo- biologist 
uh, lamented that Lyshenko was completely ignorant of the elementary principles of genetics and plant physiology, which is really coming across in some of the stuff we've discussed today. It's it's basic agro 101 type stuff. Uh, and this uh, criticism obviously didn't sit well with him as he loathed the, uh, the Western uh, bourgeoisie scientist and uh, denounced them as tools of imperial oppressors and propagandists. And he especially hated the American practice of studying fruit flies uh, which uh, is the uh, like the, the modern backbone of, of genetics, the, the fruit fly being a, such a, a simple animal, uh, such easy to study genetic traits. It, it's used as a um, as like a lab rat, the, the go-to lab rat for, for testing genetic ideas. And as such, he, he called geneticists fly lovers and people haters, which um, is interesting. And not only was Lushenko having such a negative impact on people in general around the world and the individuals that uh, opposed him and his beliefs, that dared to speak out and criticise him, he set Russian biology and genetic study back by at least half a century, some people believe. Uh, By some accounts, arguably before the 1930s, the Soviet Union had one of the best genetics uh, community in the world. But that was then gutted by Lyshenko because he was able to gain Stalin's favour through mixing political beliefs with science. He was able to just have anyone that opposed his views and opposed them quite rightly uh, rounded up, sent to gulags, psychiatric hospitals or even executed. However, quite fortunately for the Russian people and I guess the global scientific community as a whole, Lushenko's reign and stranglehold over the uh, the world of biology was not to last. When Stalin died in 1953, his biggest supporter died. However, he was still able to maintain his power and some influence for a little while to come, but with Khrushchev now in charge, more mainstream scientists were able to re-emerge and come back into the the scientific community and uh, start to, I guess, repopulate the community with mainstream science and and mainstream ideas, the correct ideas, the ideas that that have been proven, peer-reviewed and studied, which further weakened Lyshenko's influence. In fact, in 1962, three of the most prominent Soviet physicists came forward. Uh, Their names were... Yakov Zeldovich, Vitaly Grinsberg, and Pyrotra Kapitsa, and they presented a case against Lyshenko, proclaiming his work as pseudoscience and denouncing all of his political power to silence and opposition and eliminate his enemies throughout the Soviet community. These denunciations occurred during a period of structural upheaval in the Soviet government where major institutions were purged of the strictly ideological and political mechanisations that had controlled the work of the Soviet scientific community for decades. And this eventually accumulated in Lyshenko leaving his post at the Institute of Genetics in 1965. 
However, by then, arguably most of the damage had been done. Millions had died, and many more had gone hungry, but he was finally been exposed for what he is. The Soviet press, filled with articles, that effectively just described him as what he is, a fraud, a charlatan, a pseudoscientist, and the man that single-handedly set back the Russian study of biology for many, many years. His notes were then investigated, his paperwork went through, gone through, and it was revealed that not only did most of these these ideas, these, these crack or he just have the worst experiments to try and prove them, but he then fudged the results, even with a trial design set to favour his, uh, his predetermined outcome, his, his, his desired outcome, the, uh, they often didn't achieve the results that he was chasing. And as such, he ended up um, having to forge those results. His career was over, his monopoly had ended, and he died in disgrace in 1976 with the world seeing him for what he was. However, he has enjoyed a bit of a resurgence of late through a nostalgia for the Soviet Union and and Stalin. Some people are out there writing books again about him, popularising his ideas, although they're a very niche community, and trying to bring him back to the, uh, the level of acclaim that he once had when he controlled the monopoly on Soviet biology, with many believing that his uh, interest in Lamarckism is, is really a predecessor to the field of epigenetics, but I don't know. I mean, epigenetics, the study of how conditions can activate particular genes, and because those genes have been activated, they're more heritable. I just don't see how that fits in with his belief of genes don't exist. Lashenko didn't believe in genes at all. Um, so <laughs> how you can claim that he's the father of epigenetics well yeah he's not he's not that's just um a bit of a revisionist nostalgia so i guess that's the story of lushenko the world's worst agro and really it just serves as a bit about the um about the importance of the independence of science the importance of peer review and the importance of not mixing politics in science chasing a predetermined outcome that fits with an ideology as we said in the podcast, his, his work in pseudoscience del- like directly led to the deaths of millions, tens of millions of people through starvation, which has got to be a pretty bad way to go. Slow, painful, and just, just a terrible way to, to end your life. So if there's one thing to be taken out of this, it is the importance of peer-reviewed, politically independent science. I hope you enjoyed that, something that's a little bit different, bit interesting, bit of history, um, interesting character, and hopefully we'll have a couple more interviews coming forward soon. Uh, I've got some really interesting people tied in, uh, lined up. We've got some fairly interesting technology, and I'm very, very keen to get them on the podcast and um, go through it with you. So if you liked what you heard, make sure you subscribe rate give it a review uh share it with a mate tell your friends about it uh find us on instagram uh facebook youtube just search in the paddock podcast we'll come up there somewhere and until next time keep at it